Well, two weeks ago, we reached the book of Isaiah in our Through the Bible study, and we looked at um, uh, verses um, 1 through 7 of chapter 6. We saw how Isaiah had a vision of God's holiness. He was instantly made aware of his sin and of the people's sin, and he cried out to God and said, woe is me, I'm, I'm done, I'm doomed, I'm finished. But we see that God used that moment in his life to bring about a purging, a cleansing that he needed in order to prepare him for what God had next. And, and um, that's what we looked at last Sunday in Isaiah 6, 8. We just looked at that one verse last week. I want to put that on the screen just as a reminder for you of uh, what we talked about. Isaiah said, I I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. And we talked a little bit about how the only way that Isaiah was truly prepared to answer that, the way that he did, was because of what he went through in verses 1 through 7. He had an encounter with God like he had never had before. You know, here's the interesting thing. If that had not happened on that particular day to Isaiah, the following day would have just been another ordinary day. Nothing would have changed for him. And so, I, you know me, I, I'm never one to make this Christian life about seeking out experiences. We should never allow that to be our driving force because experiences come and go. We can be in a, a, a service or a moment where we're swept up in emotion, where uh, we're kind of taken to a high in that moment, and we think that that is um, a great encounter with God. It may just be emotions. Now, and there's nothing wrong with those moments. I enjoy them, but we, we really do have to be careful. You see, it's, it's, our, it's our true um, encounter with the God of the universe that brings about transformation. That can happen very quietly in your own house. And so this is why I I pray not for experiences, but for encounters with God. Uh, It is, there is a danger for us to, to get so good at being a Christian that we forget who God is. And we forget who we are. Um, And we need a reminder. I need them quite often. And so this is what happened to Isaiah. And because of that encounter with God, the following day was not an ordinary day at all. His life completely changed from this point forward, as we'll see through the, the remainder of this book. But because Isaiah had been made painfully aware of his sin and of the sin of the people. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Because of that, he was burdened and ready now to go and take God's message that had transformed him to the people who also needed to be transformed. And we closed last week by praying that God would awaken us, that he would burden our hearts for something And whatever he calls us to do, we'd be prepared and we would be willing to say, here I am, send me. And I gave you that quick caution last week that 
That verse is a famous verse used in missionary conferences and pastor ordination services and so on. And so the majority of the church uh, sits there and it goes right by them. And they think, well, that doesn't apply to me. And uh, I, I hope that you will remember from last week that if you are saved, you are a minister of the gospel. You may not have the little framed certificate that I have, which means absolutely nothing, by the way. Um, but you are a minister uh, of the gospel. And God is still looking for people, as we saw. He's looking for people through whom he can work and show himself strong. And uh, I wonder if his eyes will ever pause on you, if they'll ever pause on me. If he, as he's searching to and fro throughout the whole earth, as Second Chronicles 16.9 says, if his eyes will ever come to rest on one of us and say, look here, I found a faithful person. I'm going to show myself strong through them. So we need to be aware of this. We need to be constantly prepared and ready uh, to answer God's call. And his call, when I say call, again, it's a dangerous word for us in our modern culture because we immediately think of a call to the mission field or a call to something. Um, And it's not. It's more a sense of, as I said, when Jesus said, go and make disciples, that word go there, the implication of that particular Greek word is don't stop what you're doing and make special plans to go somewhere. It's in your daily going make disciples. As you go through your week, make disciples. That's what Jesus was saying to these people. And we see them doing that all throughout uh, the book of Acts. And so at this point, going through Isaiah chapter 6, many people will honestly ask, well, how exactly does this work in my life? How, How does this call thing work in my life? How will I recognize a call if it comes? Um, And how will I know how to respond to it. So today I want to take just a few minutes and explore maybe what you could say the practical side of God's call and what our response might look like in real life. I want to try to take this from the scriptures and bring it home to us today where we are here in 2023. Because as I said, nine out of 10 people hear Isaiah 6, 8, and they sit there and say, well, that's not for me because I'm just a landscaper or a student or an engineer or a nurse or a mom. So obviously, you know, that doesn't apply to me. Um, and so I would encourage you to kind of erase that from your, your mind and realize that that is not the truth. God is looking to use people in every avenue of life, wherever he has placed you. You know the old saying, bloom where you're planted? It's so true. We, I think some of us spend the majority of our life, maybe I could say we waste the majority of our life looking forward to and waiting until God gets us to the point where he can use us. And God says, how about today? How about right now? And we say, God, well, when I have more Bible knowledge, then I'll, you know, I'll step out and serve you. How about you start today with what you have? Uh, God, if I can um, ever get into a a stable financial position, then I'll serve you. You know, the truth is, no, you won't. God, if my health ever gets better, I promise you, then you can count on me. No, he can't. No, no. The fact is, if we can't serve him where we are with what we have right now, we'll never serve him a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. 
So let's not, let's not be among that sorrowful group who get to the end of their life and look back and go, I never really did anything. I've been waiting all this time for God to change my circumstances, to do this or to do that, and I've, I've spent my whole life doing nothing. Uh, one old Greek philosopher said, uh, when he got to the end of the road, said, uh, I realize that I have spent my entire life stringing and unstringing my instrument, but I never played the song God called me to play. Yeah, so... God has a song for you to play. He has a purpose for you. As I said, if you're still alive today, it's not because you're taking care of yourself. That's fine. You should. It's not because you exercise more than other people. It's not because you only eat broccoli. None of those things. It's because God is not finished with you. He has a purpose for you here. Maybe it's to touch the life of one of your grandchildren with his truth. Maybe it's to... Love on the single mom at work who's barely keeping her nose above water. And, and you say, boy, we could take her some meals or buy a new set of tires for her minivan or whatever. You know, listen, those are calls from God. Let's not miss the small things in life that God wants to do. God calls you to step out across the hall or across the street to love on someone. That's a call from God. And we have a choice to say yes or no. So I'll tell you, um, our friend, many of you know him and love him, Tommy Jenkins. He, he always tried to get me to tell this story because it makes me look so bad. <laughs> so, Tommy, this is for you. I'll go ahead and share this one more time um, of how I missed a simple call to be obedient to God. Again, we're not talking about a call to go to the mission field. This is a call that happened in the middle of a regular day, and I blew it. So I was uh, in the church where Sandy grew up and where we got married and all that. I was teaching an adult Sunday school class for years. And so I had just been studying the Bible the week before. I had, this was a Sunday. I had just brought the Sunday school lesson. You know, So look at me, man. I'm this spiritual guy up here teaching this Sunday school class. And, and then after church, uh, Sandy and I, we had something to do that afternoon and so we made the horrid decision just to grab something quick. And the only place we could find nearby was uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. And uh, I know. And so we parked, we walked in, and we're at the counter, and we're ordering our food. And the place is kind of empty. I'm standing here at the counter. Sandy is standing to my left. And in that moment, this is bizarre for it to happen in a KFC, but I was standing in that moment just... Uh, just in the glow of my wife's beauty. I, she, she had this dress on that day that was just, forget about it. It was <laughs> incredible. She looked amazing. She smelled wonderful. And so there I am in KFC enjoying this moment, and the door to my right opens. And as the wind blows through, I get this whiff of B.O. <laughs> that is just sickening. And I look, and in comes this old homeless man ragged and torn and dirty, shuffling in. Now, there's no one else at the counter. He could have stood anywhere, but he comes and stands right here next to me. And the lady comes up and says, can I help you? And he mumbles some things and pulls out an old, dirty checkbook cover. 
and uh, his hands were filthy. You could barely see his fingernails. And he wanted to write a check. I'm, I don't know if that was his. I don't know if he had found it. I don't know. But she said, I'm sorry, sir. We don't, we don't take that. And in that moment, I had an Isaiah 6, 8 moment. God called me and said, buy that man lunch and tell him I love him. And I said, not on your life. And God said again, buy him lunch and tell him I love him. And I said, no. Now this was, uh, we didn't have kids then, so this was a long, long time ago. I, had, I still had a lot of pride in me. See, here's the thing. You can stand up and teach a Sunday school class. You can stand right here and preach. It doesn't mean you have it all together. You understand? We're all on this journey together. And we stumble and fall and blow it along the way. And hopefully we'll be surrounded by other people who can come to us and say, hey, look, man, you blew it. It's okay. Let's get up. Let's move on together. God has never allowed me to forget that moment. Oh, and I'll never forget when I said no the second time quietly. Instantly, as soon as I said no, that man turned to leave. But he didn't turn to his right and leave. He did something very odd. He turned very slowly this way, all the way around. And as he did, and I'm here, he looked up and his eyes caught mine for just a second. And he turned, he had the bluest eyes, and he turned and he shuffled out the door. I was so mad when I was eating my food. I was eating that chicken. I was so mad. And I said, Sandy, we've got to get in the car. We've got to go find that guy. I said, she's like, what? What, the, what are you talking about? I said, I just disobeyed God. We got to go find him. We got in the car. We drove and we drove and we drove and we couldn't find him. He was gone. So you see, um, that was not something small. That was a call from God to obey him every bit as big and important as Isaiah's call. You understand? Because who knows what could have come from that? I saw a homeless man who was annoying me just by his smell. God may have seen someone who, if he had been saved, could have sparked a revival in Greenville. So, do not miss those little promptings of God. Do not miss his calls while you're busy waiting for the big call. Well, I've noticed that when people teach through Isaiah 6, they usually cut off this chapter right after verse 8. Those are familiar verses, and they stop right there. Uh, that's the comfortable part, the exciting part, where Isaiah sees the vision, he gets God's call, you've got a job to do, and people might read those first eight verses and think, well, you know, this is exciting, it's going to be a fun adventure. But the chapter goes on, and while the remaining verses might usually be skipped, and they usually are, they're so important, in fact, that they're quoted in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans, and they're quoted by Jesus himself. So I'd say maybe, maybe they have some worth. And what follows starting in verse 9 is anything but comfortable. You need to know this. Uh, these are not happy, exciting verses. They're not verses that any of us would really ponder on or spend time on. Because God's message here is not 
answer my call, and we'll have a lot of fun together. The message is, answer my call, and you will be called to do some things that make you very uncomfortable. His message describes here how the time has come for him to judge his people. Um, let's, let's look at these verses real quickly and then try to make some sense of them. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And he said, that's God said, go and tell this people. Now it's interesting, he usually calls them my people. But here it's almost like he's, I don't know, it's, it's almost like he's distancing himself. He says, go and tell this people. Now listen to this, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. And this is a strange passage of scripture. What we've seen already again in our journey through the Old Testament so far is that God's people have rebelled against him for so many generations. They have turned a deaf ear to his calls for repentance until we've reached the point now where God has nothing left to do but to say, I'm going to go ahead then and give you the hard hearts you want and the deaf ears that you want. I'm going to go ahead and grant your wish and leave you alone and bring judgment upon you. Now, we could dive deep into that, but what I really want to stay focused on here is from Isaiah's perspective, the call on his life and the calls that come into our life and how that person answers that call, and then a little bit on what comes as a result of the call. So imagine this now. Isaiah has had this incredible moment with God. God has said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? By the way, have you ever noticed the us? Who's God talking to? Who will go for us? And Isaiah has this incredible moment of humbling himself, of offering himself up for the Lord's service. He says, here am I, send me, I'll go. This is an exciting moment for him. And imagine now in that moment, God says, okay, Isaiah, um, let me tell you what your ministry is going to look like. You're going to spend the rest of your life preaching your heart out for me. You're going to remain faithful to me for the rest of your life and do everything I've told you to do, and no one is going to listen to your message. Wow. Who in their right mind would sign up for that? You see, it's the reason I remind you again and again, stay away from this foolish, self-centered, fluffy teaching that is so prevalent today that says, Oh man, if you just you follow God, he'll give you the best parking place at the mall at Christmas. What absolute rubbish. Really, that's the extent of our relationship with him? Someone said that to me one day. Praise the Lord, I got a good parking place. I said, ah, pretty, pretty sure God wants you to walk a little extra there. You know, you, I'm not sure that was God that gave you that parking place. <laughs> I'm nice like that. I try, I'm called to help people. 
So Isaiah, in this moment, I'm sure he's like, his heart is beating. He's got some excitement. It's like, wow, what's God going to call me to do? God says, I'll tell you what I'm going to call you to do. I'm going to call you to preach day after day after day after day for the rest of your life, and no one's going to pay attention to you. As a matter of fact, your preaching is going to harden their hearts even more. I got to be honest with you. If God had called me to start this church with that footnote, I don't think I would have done it. Here's an important truth. If you and I are going to stay faithful to God and finish strong in the end, we need to understand that God's calls are seldom easy. And sometimes God calls people to a very, very difficult road in life. Might not be you, but sometimes God does. You remember we looked at Hosea a while back, and Hosea called, uh, God called Hosea to marry a woman who would be unfaithful to him repeatedly. And then Hosea was told to take her back and love her and take her as his own. What a calling. When Saul was on his way to persecute the church some more, in Acts 9, we see that God, uh, the Lord came down with a blinding light and, and hit Saul, and, um, and then he was taken to this place where he, he was blind, he lost his sight, and God called this man Ananias in Acts 9 and said, I want you to go to this man Saul. He is going to be my servant, uh, and I want you to lay your hands on him so that he can receive his sight. And Ananias says this in Acts 9, 16. He, God said, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Does that sound like modern teaching to you? Come on in, church. Come on in, crowds. We're going to have the privilege of suffering for Christ. Yeah, I don't think so. Jesus himself was called to walk a very difficult road. And we see him defending his calling to finish that course. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Verse 22, then Peter took him aside, oh boy, and began to rebuke him. Oh, Peter. Saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But you know what? I have that same passion as Peter does. Can you imagine what rose up inside Peter in that moment? No, Lord, no, this is not going to happen to you. It can't. Verse 23, but Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. What was it that kept Jesus so focused on his calling from his father so focused to complete his mission, no matter how difficult it was. It was the fact that he was committed to living for the things of God rather than the things of men. And Jesus said, Peter, don't you try to distract me. You're focused on the things of men. I'm focused on doing the will of my Father. An important truth, folks, the only way that you and I are going to 
make it through the struggles of this life and bring glory to God is if we have committed at some point along the way, preferably earlier than later, that no matter what comes, we are going to stay committed to the things of God. We are going to focus on the things of God, not on the things of men. I could stand up here for two or three hours and tell you story after story of people we've known over the years who have lived this out in front of us. We've seen this beautiful uh, calling played out in people's lives. People have been willing to give up whatever God has asked them to let go of, to, to go wherever God has called them to go, even if it seems something small, uh, to suffer hardship beyond comprehension, some of them. And they walk through it all with grace and strength and faith because they were committed to the things of God. I think of the parents of a missionary family we know. He told us that his parents were called to a mission field and they served there for seven years and never saw one person saved. Seven years. Tell me you wouldn't feel like a complete failure. And they came home and they were discouraged and broken. A while later, I don't remember how long, but other missionaries went there and they reaped a harvest of souls. You know why? Because that dear man and his wife were willing to stay committed to the things of God for seven years. They were willing to do the hard work of plowing the fields and getting the soil ready for seven years so that when someone else came along, the soil was prepared to receive the seed and it grew. I think of my parents when they were young and I hadn't come along yet. They had three small children. God put on their heart to leave everything and go to Australia as missionaries. Now, this was in the days when Australia was not a tourist attraction. Uh, It was a, sorry folks over there, it was a dump. Um, You just didn't go to Australia. And their family and their well-meaning friends begged them not to go. My father was crippled, he was on crutches, and they just said, this is going to be too much for you. It's, uh, It's rough land over there, please don't do this. And they had to make the grueling decision to leave everyone they loved and everything they knew and board that rickety old plane and fly across the ocean to the unknown. And because they did, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who have come to know Christ for multiple generations now because they were willing to focus on the things of God rather than on the things of men. You see, having that focus does strange things to you. It causes you to say yes to things you would never otherwise say yes to. And it causes you to say no to things and run from things that you might otherwise want to mess with. I'll give you one more example. I remember the day like it was yesterday. Uh, I don't remember how old I was exactly. Maybe I'm thinking 15 or 16 We had come back to the States for a little while. Uh, We had had a bunch of threats on our family over there. And and so we were were back here, and we were were sitting at the breakfast table one morning, and the phone rang. My dad picked it up and said, hello. And then I could tell by the way he was talking louder and sort of pressing into the phone, I could tell it was an overseas call. 
And we heard the call. It sounded very serious. And I remember tears started to run down my dad's face. And he hung up, and we asked him what that was. And he said that the mission director there who, who we'd worked with had just called to tell him that one of their dear friends and colleagues, Pastor Diaz, had, had just been killed while delivering a load of Bibles into Mozambique. And then Mr. Hennigan on the other side said to my dad, will you come back and pick up where he left off? And I remember looking at my dad and said, we're going, aren't we? And we did. It's crazy. Who would do that? Well, someone would do that if they have, prior to that decision, committed themselves, whatever comes, I'm focusing on the things of God, not on the things of men. Listen, don't be fooled into thinking that if you follow Jesus, Satan is going to move out of town. Here's the truth. If you follow Jesus, Satan is going to move in next door. You will have a target painted on you, and you will become uh, the target of his vicious attacks. Jesus never sugarcoated the, the realities of what it meant to follow him in this life. He never, I love this about him, he never tried to sell people on following him. He never tried to entice people into following him with promises of luxury and ease. Instead, he calmly and plainly said to them, if you're not willing to take up a cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. And the crowds turned and disappeared over the hill because it was too much for them. I love what author Philip Yancey said. He said, take up your cross and follow me, Jesus said, in the least manipulative invitation that has ever been given. Yes, so true, isn't it? You, you, you get the used car salesman tactics thrown on you all the time in life. Everything from multi-level marketing to Christianity. The invitation of Jesus, no manipulation at all. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who lived this out in his life, <clears throat> suffering greatly for the Lord, he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Isaiah had a decision to make after hearing his assignment. Was he really committed to stepping out and giving up his life for God's life, or was he going to back out and go and find something easier? Well, one thing is, I'm glad to see that Isaiah was human, just like us. When God finished describing Isaiah's assignment that we just read in verses 9 and 10, it obviously rattled Isaiah, because here's what he said in verse 11. Then I said, Lord, how long? Uh, how, how long is this going to be, Lord? And the, the answer that's not given here in Scripture to Isaiah, but we find out from studying the rest of the life of Isaiah is, uh, Lord, how long, um, Isaiah, for the rest of your life? It's going to be a hard road. As a matter of fact, you read history and see <clears throat> that Isaiah was put to death in an absolutely grueling, horrific way. Folks, that's what a call from God sometimes looks like. 
Now, you probably won't be called to that. But are we willing to say yes to something that's a little less than that? A little less uncomfortable? A little less inconvenient? A little less embarrassing? Verse 11. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. I mean, wow, this is a bleak outlook. The cities are going to be destroyed and laid waste and desolate and The people are going to be carried off into captivity. And Isaiah was the one who was called to help usher that in. This was a difficult call. But imagine if Isaiah had said no. How different would that section of history have been? See, Isaiah was the man God chose to step out into this very difficult calling. And as I said, it was a calling to usher in judgment on these people. But one of the beautiful things that we see here in the close of this chapter is that even when God brings judgment, even when everything grows dark and dreadful, God's promise is always, always still flickering in the dark. And you need to know that in your life as well. No matter how dark things may become, no matter how bleak things may look, no matter how hopeless the situation may appear to be, no matter how painful God's judgments are, God always keeps a flicker of hope alive. And we need to remember that in the immediate, and we need to remember this long-term for the rest of our lives. We need to know that when this life down here is over, when everything is said and done, good will triumph over evil. Christ will vanquish his enemies. All tears and pain and sorrow and sickness will be gone. His everlasting kingdom will be set up, and he will rule and reign in righteousness forever and ever. That is coming. And it's that promise of what is to come that so often gives us the hope and the courage to take another step. When we go, man, this is just too much. This is too hard. What am I doing this for? Oh, that's right. Yeah, something good's coming. And this, I think, is one of the struggles in the American church, especially, and I I say that because I have the perspective of having lived around the world. One of the struggles with the American church is that we live in a culture of immediate gratification. It's the microwave society. We want everything now. I have to wait two days to get this package? This is us. And our ancestors would have—they would have blown their mind. What? You can order a product, and it shows up at your house in two days. 
But it's not good enough for us now. And the problem is, that's wonderful, I guess, to live in that society, except that we, we bring that mentality into our Christian life. And we have a hard time playing the long game, so to speak. We have a hard time accepting struggles and heartache and loss and sickness and problems now, knowing that in 20, 30, 40, 50 years, whatever it may be for each of us, we're going to be in a better place. All of this is going to be worth it. We're not doing this for nothing. This will bring him glory. And we see this, thankfully, in this chapter. Chapter 6 ends with this little sprout of hope springing up from the very midst of the devastation and deadness. And we're reassured once again that God's promise is still very much alive. Look at the last verse, verse 13. But yet a tenth will be in it, and it will return. It will be burned again like a terebinth tree or an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be its stump. This nation, God is saying, is is going to be cut down like a tree till only a stump is left. It's It's a picture of destruction. It's a picture of this once tall proud, strong, unmovable, mighty nation that is going to be cut down to nothing. And yet even in this message of judgment, we see the scarlet thread of God's promised redemption woven into it. This is an extraordinary image that God gives to Isaiah here. Just as he had been facing judgment on himself for his own sin, but then it turned into a a word of mercy and fresh commissioning, you know, a, a promise that there is a way forward, there is a message of hope, so too God's people are facing judgment here as a whole for their sin, and the message turns into a message of ultimate hope. See, as we've said before, God has to judge sin. He has to bring judgment. God has to bring discipline and, dare I say it, judgment into our lives when we need it. He has to bring chastisement to those who are his. But his judgment is never meant to destroy. His judgment is always a work of purification, which says, I want to bring about something new. But God will only do that new thing once the purification has been accomplished. Man, I'll tell you, this is an uncomfortable process in life. I don't know what it is about us human beings that it seems the only way we really ever learn the deep lessons of life, the only way we're really ever willing to turn and be transformed is if we have have our our legs knocked out from under us, so to speak. I wish it weren't so, but I'm presuming, I'm assuming that it's kind of the same way in your life. It's not just me, is it? We're we're hard-headed creatures, stubborn creatures. I don't know why. Well, I do. I mean, it's sin, but still, even, you know, in our desire to fight sin, to to live for him. It's still a struggle. There are still times God has to lower the boom in our life. 
and bring something that is so painful because there is there would have been no possible way we would have learned what God wanted us to learn and go to where God wanted us to go in our walk with him short of having this disaster come into our life. But God never brings those things into our life as the end in themselves. They're always, it's always threaded with his mercy. It's always wrapped in his message of hope and promise. He wants to purify us. And as any kind of metal is purified, there's only one way. It has to go through the fire. It has to go through the heat. I can tell you for a fact, I would not be standing here today. This church would not exist today if God had not first taken me through this purification process. I don't have time to get into it all, but God had been calling me to leave the business world and to do this. And I said, I can't. I can't. I am not equipped for that. I, I am not capable of doing that. I dropped out of a public speaking class in high school the end of the first week because she made us give a three-minute speech on Friday. And I said, these were my words, an exact quote, I will never do that again as long as I live. (laughs) And God was calling me to this, and I said, you've got the wrong person. I cannot do this. I said, I've watched my father in ministry. I've seen how brutal it is. I've seen what it's taken out of him. I cannot do that. And I kept saying no to God. I kept bargaining with God. Okay, God, I'll teach a Sunday school class. Uh, Okay, God, I'll even help my wife in children's Sunday school. Oh, goodness. Actually, it was her that made me do it. She told me one day, after church, she goes, I signed us up to teach a children's Sunday school class. I said, you signed who up to do what? She goes, yeah, you and me. I said, I'm not doing that. She goes, yes, you are. I said, no, I'm not. We didn't have kids at the time. I didn't know what to do with kids except run from them. And the last thing I remember saying was, no, I'm not. And the following week, I was standing there in a classroom surrounded by about 300 screaming kids. I think it was eight, but... But I kept saying, God, okay, I'll, I'll do this for you. Just leave me alone on that other thing. All right, God, I'll, I'll do this, I'll do that. And God just kept lovingly, patiently saying, I'm not going to let this go. I remember being on flights, <clears throat> sitting on a plane. I was telling someone this this week, flying out of Greenville on a business trip, and my heart would be broken. I'd be sitting there on the runway at GSP, waiting to take off, looking out the window, And my heart would be aching because I knew I wasn't doing what God called me to do. I remember sitting in some meetings, some important meetings where I was, and I never did this in my life. I was completely tuned out of what was going on. In fact, one day, one of my business partners in a meeting goes, Phil, Phil, are you with us, man? And I said, no, I'm not. I'm sorry. What was going on? I was sitting there thinking, God, are you ever going to drop this? I can't do this. It's too much. And so God had to take everything from us. There was no other way I would have done it. I'm sorry. I didn't know how to make that transition. 
I did not know how to do it. So God said, Phil, all right, here's how this is going to happen. You and your wife are going to lose everything. And you're going to have to start again from zero. And that's what we did. I remember holding Nick as a new baby, looking over on the corner of my desk at this stack of bills that were unpaid. I'd never done that in my life. And I didn't know how to pay the bills because we had no income. God had to break me. And it was in that time of pain and humbling and stripping down that God changed my heart. But none of that would have happened. None of this would have happened if God had not first taken me through that process. You see, it was, it was in that time of feeling like life was over that God was actually birthing new life. It was in that time uh, of cutting down that God was actually preparing to build up, just like this stump he talks about here in verse 13. Man, it's been cut down to nothing. But, but if you look closely, after all the dust of my judgment has settled, if you, if you strain and look closely, you'll see a little shoot coming out of that stump. It's new life. I'm not done with you. Yeah, I've cut you down. Boy, I've cut you down. I've had to hurt you so bad. <laughs> but listen to me. It's not to leave you as a stump. Look closely. You'll see a little sprout of green life coming up. And you know what that sprout was? It was Jesus the promised Messiah, the promised seed, he said, that he talked about back in Genesis 3.15. And more than 700 years later, Jesus referred to himself as that seed in John 12.24. He said, truly, truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat, that's a seed, falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. And he was, of course, talking about his own death on the cross and how that would bring life to all who believed in him. So I I close with this. You and I, as we do our best to, to follow the Lord, to listen for his calls, to step out and obey what he's asking us to do, whether it makes sense or not, we, we must not lose sight of this critical truth that As we walk through times of darkness or sorrow or pain or loss or silence, God's hope and promises are not dead. He has not abandoned you. As we remain faithful to him, he will bring us through and out of those seasons, and he will bring forth much fruit through our lives, not in spite of, but because of what he led us through. So don't be angry if God has called you to a place in life now that you may not want to be. Don't be angry with him. Know that somewhere behind the scenes, God is still very much at work. He has never left you, and he never will. And as we go through life, whatever calls come our way from God, we can know his calls will not always be easy. They will not always be trouble-free. They will not always be comfortable But that's okay, because we know with absolute confidence that the safest place we can ever be, the best place we can ever be, the most fruitful place we can ever be is wherever he is leading us. 
Because even now, in the midst of the deadness that you feel, a seed is just waiting to sprout and grow into something beautiful for God. Trust him in this moment in your life. If you have said yes to his call and it's not working out the way you thought it would, trust him. Trust him in this moment. So I pray that God will give all of us the the faith and the courage to live through the times of darkness and unknown, to trust that his new purposes will emerge with the power and the strength of the risen Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this glimpse into the life of this ordinary man, Isaiah, who um, was willing to accept your call, even though he knew it was going to be difficult. And we thank you for what we see coming out of that, Lord, the continuation of your promise to bring forth the, the Messiah, Father, all of us would rather hear your calls leading us to places that were easy. But we know that's not how things work. And so we we ask today, Lord, we all of us want to ask what Isaiah asked, Lord, how long? How long is it going to be like this? I pray, Father, for each of us that you would encourage us today, wherever we may be, that you would Fill us with renewed hope, knowing that you are good and that what you are doing in our life right now is not for uh, no purpose at all. You, Lord, are at work. You're bringing about a purification in us that needs to happen, that you could be glorified. I pray, Lord, that through all of our lives, you would truly be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time... May God bless you as you continue to follow Him.